Good morning. Uh, let's, we're going to crack on. Um, as Dan just said, my name's Rebecca, and uh, I'm a member of the church here, member of the preaching team, and member of staff. Uh, it's great to see you. I know most of you. If I don't know you, then hi, it's great to have you with us. Um, and I'll just introduce what we're about to do, what we're doing today. As you've already heard from Dan, we've got two more Sundays here this year, just two more Sundays today and next week, and then we're not here again for the rest of this year. So, and this is what we're doing on those two Sundays. So uh, we're looking at Advent. It is the season of Advent. Uh, and today we're looking from Luke's Gospel in chapter 1. And next week, Chris Nicholson is going to be looking um, at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. So I'm going to be looking at Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her um, involvement in, in the season of Advent. And Chris is going to look at Joseph's perspective next week. So that's where we're going. Uh, just to say, I don't know if what you know about Advent or what it makes you think. Um, for many people, I imagine it's just the season where you're allowed to eat chocolate for breakfast. Um, uh, that happens in our house, right? Uh, in fact, some people probably eat chocolate for breakfast even when it's not Advent. Anybody? Paul Whittlesey occasionally. Um, so I want to I kind of uh, widen and enlarge our sense of what Advent is from that uh, and, and really just in it, what my hope today is to turn us to look at Jesus, to make much of him, uh, and to meet with him again, as he wants to meet with us. So, does that sound all right? Okay. Well, <coughs> firstly, to help us think a little bit more broadly about Advent, I have turned to this fella here, who uh, is called Bernard. <laughs> oh, he's French, so Bernard. Bernard of Clairvaux, he's an abbot from the 12th century. You don't really need to know that. Uh, this particular picture, he looks a bit like Jeremy um, Corbyn, doesn't he? No, no political statements intended. But this is Bernard of Clairvaux, and this is what he said about Advent. It's a little bit wordy, but bear with me, because I'm gonna, we're going to unpack it a little bit. This is what he says. We know that the coming of the Lord is threefold. So let's just stop. So Advent is a word that comes from the Latin meaning a coming or an arrival. So in Advent, it's, it's the season where we think about and prepare for the coming of Jesus. That's what it is about. So we know the coming of the Lord is threefold. And he's talking about Jesus here when he says the Lord. At his first coming, the Lord was seen on earth and lived among men who saw him and hated him. At his last coming... All flesh shall see the salvation of our God, and they will look on him whom they have pierced. In the middle, the hidden coming, only the chosen see him, and they see him within themselves, and so their souls are saved. The first coming at Christmas, when Jesus was born, was in flesh and weakness. The middle coming now is in spirit and power, and the final coming will be in glory and majesty. This middle coming of Jesus to us is like a road that leads from the first coming to the last. At the first, Christ was our redemption. At the last, he will become manifest or shown as our life. But in this middle way, he is our rest and our consolation. I, I think that's lovely, isn't it? That great to in, 
enlarge our sense of Advent. And Bernard of Clairvaux is saying, yes, the Saviour came once, 2,000 years ago. He took on flesh and became a man. He came for our redemption to save us. And yes, he will come again, finally, and restore all things to himself and restore this creation and we will be renewed. And now, in between those times, he comes to us personally, individually. Not just once either, not just once when we meet him, when we surrender to him, but day by day, by his spirit, he wants to come to us. He wants us to know him. Advent's better than you thought, isn't it? Well, our passage for the day is actually in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 1, but very quickly, because it's a very long chapter, and I'm not going to read it all, um, I'm, I'm going to focus on one part, but just to give you a little bit of a backstory, if you don't know, so at the beginning of Luke's Gospel, Luke has written this account of the life of Jesus. We have an angel called Gabriel who comes and appears to a guy called Zechariah, who's a priest, and promises him a miraculous baby. So Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth are very old and they don't have children. So they've never been able to have children and now they're like grandparent age, but they don't have any children or grandchildren. And the angel comes and says, you're going to have a baby. Zechariah questions that. That baby is to be John the Baptist. So, as the angel said, his wife gets pregnant. About six months later, the same angel, Gabriel, comes and appears to a little teenage girl called Mary or Mariam, as she would have been called, and says to her, you're going to have a miraculous baby. She questions the angel with good reason because uh, she's a, a teenage girl, she's not married and she's never had sex. So with good reason she questions him, but she takes him at his word. She actually says to the angel, let it be done as you say, and then she makes this journey to visit Elizabeth, her cousin the one who's already pregnant with the miraculous John the Baptist. Okay, so Mary goes to Elizabeth, and commentators suggest that it's about a four-day journey. Uh, funny, isn't it, when you read the Bible and you say, oh, and Mary went to visit her cousin, and you don't really think about what that means, but apparently it's about a four-day journey. And on the way, we can maybe surmise, she thinks about and ponders these things that the angels said. And she ponders the scripture. We can see from her response that she knows the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, which is what we call the Old Testament. And then she writes a song. Now, we call it a song. Uh, we don't know that she sung it. She might have said it, or she may have told somebody it and they wrote it down. We don't know how it happened, but it's very famous and it's known as, double clicking, the Magnificat, uh, which is another Latin word. And it's Mary's response to this news. So I'm going to read it. It's, it might be very familiar to you, but um, try and come afresh to this young teenage girl who's just been told she's miraculously conceiving a child. She's visiting her cousin, and on the way she's thinking. And this is what we have from Mary. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. 
He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So this is Mary's response. Kezia, can you come here a minute? This is Kezia, my daughter. Sorry, Kezia. Uh, Now, this lovely little girl here, she's 14 years old. She's busy uh, first year of GCSEs, studying, going out shopping with her friends, uh, enjoying life, doing all the things that 14-year-olds do. This is, this is the same sort of age as our Mary would have been. This little girl, no, a nobody girl, not that she's a nobody girl. Thank you. <laughs> you can sit down. Thanks, babe. Uh, this little girl in a nowhere place, 14, maybe 14 years old, she doesn't go to school, but she's just busy with life, normal life, helping her parents. She's betrothed, we know, to a man. That means she's promised in marriage to a much older man. And this girl receives this visitation from an angel who says, you're going to have a baby. Something about that, uh, something about what the angel says obviously shows her it's going to be imminent. It's not something that's going to happen later when she's married or... It's obviously imminent because she questions it quite rightly and says, well, that's actually impossible. And the angel says, no, actually, what's going to happen is the the very spirit of God himself is going to overshadow you. And you're going to carry a child who will be called the son of the Most High. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a bit of a tricky situation to find yourself in (laughs) for Mary. Um, Now, we've got a 14-year-old daughter, as I say, so just try and... Get your heads around this. Um, I, I'm a Christian. My husband's a Christian. We have been since we were teenagers. We're leaders here in the church. We believe biblically that sex is for one man and one woman in a covenant marriage relationship only. So if our 14-year-old came home pregnant, which she won't, um, <laughs> there would be, let's be honest, an element of shame w- that we would feel that that is not really what we would plan or want, and we know it's not God's best. Now, if it happened, we, it would be fine, and we would, we would deal with it, and we would love a, a lovely baby. But we kind of get a tiny bit of, of what that maybe would mean in our context. We have no idea of what it meant in Mary's context. Uh, some of you got a little bit more experience and understanding of Middle Eastern cultures and that what we call the honor-shame culture. Very, very different. But apart from that, of course, by rights... Joseph could have had Mary stoned to death under the law. And yet, what we see in Mary's response is three things. You'd be happy that they don't only all begin with the same letter, they begin with the same two letters. (laughs) Raising the stakes here. So Mary's response, three things I've just picked out of her response are praise, privilege, and prophecy. Does it not challenge you, challenges me, that Mary's first response is to magnify God? (laughs) Now, God visited her. The angel Gabriel himself came and spoke to her, and somehow she is so confident of God's goodness that her first response is praise. It's to turn herself out and, and magnify God. So ma- that word magnify is where the word magnificat comes from, you know, which is what we call this song. And what she's saying is what we do when we praise God is we say, God, you be bigger 
and I be smaller. I magnify you. I want you to be bigger in me and through me and around me. So I need to be less so you can be more, which is exactly what Mary's doing here, isn't she? She's totally surrendering and submitting to God's ways. She turns herself. I keep getting this image almost of a... It's like you, you position yourself to, to God. You, you turn your situation outwards and say, well, praise God at all times. That's a real challenge to me. I don't know about you. I find myself in the odd tricky situation, not quite as tricky as Mary's. My first response is not always, but God, but God, you are great. But God, I magnify you. She turns herself towards him in praise. And the second thing she does is she doesn't say, oh man, you have seriously ruined my life. <laughs> Instead, what she does is she recognises this incredible privilege. She says, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She's humble, she's young, she's not wealthy, she's not powerful. She doesn't have any of those yeah, she's not a mover or a shaker. She's, no one is expecting this. She is humble and God has looked on her. And what, what does she say? She says, from now on, this little person no one has heard of in a place no one cares about, for, forever people are going to call her blessed. She sees herself as blessed. Holy is his name. He has done great things for me, she says. She gets the incredible privilege that she has been charged with and of course with privilege massive responsibility and again I'm challenged because I don't get to carry the son of God in my body in my womb but I do get to carry him with me everywhere I go I do have Christ in me we do have him with us and for us at every turn what a privilege not to be the mother of the Son of God but to be brothers and sisters of the Son of God and children of the Father. As the Apostle John says, how great is the love that God has lavished on us to call us his children. We are children of God. That is what we are. The privilege is weighty. The privilege that Mary feels is really weighty. Gosh. But I'm challenged by that again. What's how much do I cherish and, and receive and understand the honour of having Christ in me? The Bible says, Christ in me, the hope of glory. He is the hope of glory and he is in me. He has come to me. And thirdly, I keep needing to go backwards, <coughs> prophecy. The other thing that Mary does in this, in this song, in this Magnificat, is filled with the Spirit of God. She prophesies and that means she speaks words inspired by the Holy Spirit and she speaks about the future. We often use prophecy in a very general term uh, here to mean things that God, we believe, has said to us for other people. They can be all sorts of things. Here, prophecy means a telling of what will come, inspired by God, by the, uh, the knowledge of God given to humans to say what will come. And although in Mary's song she makes lots of statements which seem to be about the past, let's just look at them, he has shown strength, he has scattered the proud, he has brought down the mighty, 
and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. Those are all past tense, aren't they? So he's done these things. And surely Mary knows the scripture. She knows lots of examples where God has uh, saved his people, where he has done great things for them. But actually what's happening here is just as much is that Mary is prophesying the kingdom that's coming with the Messiah that's coming through her. So she is prophesying. She is saying the Messiah, the one who is to come, the Son of God, is going to bring about a change in the order. He's going to bring about a different thing. There's a new thing happening. She's on the cusp of this incredible history-changing moment. And this is what's going to happen. Things are going to get turned upside down. The kingdom of God is totally different to the kingdom of this world. And that's what Mary is prophesying. And uh, there's a, a, a nice note here from a guy called Leon Morris, who's one of the um, well-known commentators on Luke, and he says this, there is a revolutionary note about filling the hungry and sending the rich away empty. In the ancient world, it was accepted that the rich would be well cared for. Poor people must expect to be hungry. Right? You're poor, you'll be hungry. That's, that's the deal. But Mary sings of a God who is not bound by what men do. He turns human attitudes and orders of society upside down. And I don't know about you, but that really reminds me of something that Jesus says on what, in what we call the Beatitudes, when Jesus is teaching. This is recorded early in Matthew's Gospel. It's the same thing, and we hear about Jesus himself, the Messiah, Son of God, coming to institute a different kingdom, a different way of doing things. And this is what he says. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. This is so familiar to some of us. We kind of miss that revolutionary note or that <coughs> radical note that Jesus is bringing. He's saying, no, the order of this world is turning on its head with the coming kingdom. It's totally different. If you're poor, you're blessed. If you mourn, you're blessed. Who wants to mourn? But he says, blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. They will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Here Jesus is speaking as a grown man and he is echoing loads of the things that his mum has sung when she is newly uh, informed of his coming. There's a new order coming. The kingdom is coming. And we've actually this morning already talked a bit about um, the... The second, we call it the second coming. You'll notice that Bernard of Clairvaux calls it the third. The second or third coming of Jesus at the end of this age. At the end of time, the Bible says he will come back in a different way, not as a baby. And he will restore all things to himself. And uh, I was thinking about this, and this seems very obvious, but it struck me as so exciting and powerful. You know, when Jesus re uh, teaches 
on the mount, and we get what we call the Beatitudes, this part of his talk from that. And when Mary says, the king is coming, everything's changing, the hungry will be satisfied, the humble will be recognised. You know, in this instance, Jesus is saying, the way this world works, power, wealth, influence, they're the people who make the decisions, they're the people who have uh, a power in this world. He's saying, not so in my kingdom, it's all different. But you know, the exciting thing is that when Jesus returns and institutes the new creation and this broken, fallen world is somehow wrapped up and, and instead produces a glorious new world where we will live, and as we know from the scripture, it will be perfect. Do you know, then these things will be the norm. Then it won't be a kingdom turning upside down. There'll only be one kingdom and there'll only be one king. And it won't be a kingdom that's coming partially uh, and, and we are trying to be countercultural, filled with the spirit of God and things around us are different. It will be a kingdom where this is normal where it doesn't seem upside down, where it's not like turning things on their head. It is the norm. That's the kingdom that we will inherit. That's the eternal hope that we have in Christ. When he comes again, we look forward to that. We anticipate that because of the hope that we have. I don't know about you, but lots of things in this world make me more and more and more aware and more and more and more hopeful for the end of this story, actually. When we read that not only will uh, God wipe our tears, he will be so close and so intimate, we will actually be with him. Not only will that, but there won't, there won't be any need for tears because there won't be pain and there won't be suffering and there won't be death and there won't be sin. It will be perfection. And he is coming Folks, he is coming back and he is going to institute that full, final expression of his kingdom. And that really excites me. I, I, I really think that um, this morning God wants us to grasp that hope in our hearts again. It's not because in the here and now everything's awful and we can't cope with life and therefore let's just think about eternity with him. It's because in the here and now he's with us as well. What does Bernard of Clairvaux say? He says, The first coming was in flesh and weakness, the middle in spirit and power, and the final coming will be in glory and majesty. We will share fully in that glory and majesty. We will see him. And the middle coming is like a road that leads from the first to the last. At the first advent, Christ came to rescue and redeem us. Hallelujah. At the last, he will become manifest. That means he'll be seen and shown to everyone as our life. And in this middle way, he is our rest and our consolation. In this middle way, yes, we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. And I don't know about you, but that makes all the difference to everything else around us, right? Makes all the difference to life. Makes all the difference to how we respond to situations. God with us. You know that lovely name from the Bible, Emmanuel, one of the names of Jesus, God with us. He is with us. He is in us. He is our rest and our consolation. He does strengthen us. He does renew our hope daily as he comes to us in that middle advent. And I believe that God wants to just speak to us and fill our hearts again with 
hope of that final advent as well. It really is, I tell you, it's really one of the most exciting things that I have gained from God this week as I've been thinking and preparing for this, is that he wants us to gain again that hope, that focus, that uh, certainty, that where we're headed is eternity with him. His perfection, his beauty is, you know, in Revelation, the vision that the Apostle John has is of this city. And it's, it's a vision, right? So it's not necessarily literal. But what is true is that it says that God will be everywhere. There will be no walls. There will be no temple in this city because God is just there. He's there. He's everywhere. He's with us. He's intimately in the midst of his people. It says there's no sun because his light illuminates everything. It's our hope. It's a sure and certain hope that we have is this, the final advent of Christ will bring in fully and finally his wonderful kingdom. No sin, no sickness, no shame, no suffering, no death. No, no need for tears. And if there are any, God himself will be there to wipe them. God. Yeah, can you imagine? Uh, let's try and imagine. Let's try and wrap our heads around this wonderful, wonderful hope. If you are here today and you don't know about the middle advent, if you know about the first one, you know the story, Mary conceives miraculously. She has a son who is the very son of God, the Messiah, the chosen one, come to save us. If you don't know about the middle one, Jesus coming to us in a spirit and power and living in us, giving us hope. If that's never happened to you, I'd like to invite you uh, to, to do that, to say, yes, I want Jesus to come to me personally, individually, and fill my heart with hope. If you've never done that and that's something you want to find out about or ask about, please do come down and speak to me afterwards down here. And I'd love to talk to you and pray with you. For the rest of us who do know the hope of Jesus who has come to us, can I, can I ask us to stand? We're going to pray. I'm going to ask God to just renew and fill us again with <coughs> more of that hope and with that wonderful anticipation. I want us to see Advent as a, not just a time of Mary's pregnancy, but it's a time of pregnant anticipation anticipation for the final revelation of Jesus when he is seen, when his kingdom is fully and finally here. Mm. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Today we thank you that you sent Jesus that first Christmas, as it were, your plan of redemption was perfect. Father, you sent your own son, the only one who could come and make a way for us. Come and redeem us so that we can know you and be beloved children of God. We thank you, our Father. And we thank you so much. And we thank you for the truth that day by day by day, that same son of God comes to us in spirit and power he fills us with hope. He fills us with purpose. Our purpose now, like Mary, is to magnify you, Lord. Is to magnify your name. 
I thank you for that. I thank you. You're here now by your spirit, Lord God, touching hearts again, filling us again, renewing us again. I thank you. There is more, like Paul said earlier, times of refreshing. There's always more that you have for us in your kindness. We praise you. And I ask you, Father, to fill our hearts again in greater and greater measure with that hopeful anticipation of what you will do. As sure as sure can be, you will come again. You will come again. Like Mary, Mary prophesied those things as if they'd already happened. They're so certain. You will come again and you will fully and finally institute the wonderful, perfect kingdom and we will be there and we praise you for that hope and I ask you, Spirit of God, come now and fill our hearts again with more and more of that hope. Renew us, Lord, renew us. I pray now for you to be just speaking into hearts and minds, Lord, strengthening, encouraging, turning eyes back to you, turning our gaze to hope and eternal life that is ours in Christ Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you for all that you've done. We love you for all that you're going to do. We love you, Lord, that um, like Mary, you've turned our lives upside down. And you are now the centre, and you are now the object of our gaze and our love and our adoration. And we just, we worship you, Lord. We honour you. We magnify you. Praise your name.